This is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. And in today's episode, why South Africans are focusing on the wrong things in the land expropriation debate. Just over a year ago, the founder of South Africa's Institute for Security Studies, Yaki Salia, produced a quite marvellous book which he called Fate of the Nation. Perfectly timed ahead of December's ANC elective conference. In our interview on the book about a year ago, Salia shared with us the likely result of that watershed event and what would happen thereafter. His projections were excellent. He was one of the few to call a Ramaphosa victory and also one, though, to point out that it brings with it a huge challenge of modernizing the ANC and the country. I like engaging with scientists like Celia. They trash popular narratives by focusing on the facts and also show us how these are most likely to impact the future. Their ability to achieve perspective is a rare gift in a noisy developing country like South Africa. But Celia actually achieved it in his book and has done so again in this excellent interview on the country's hottest of potatoes, the policy of expropriation of land without compensation. Again, he says the real fight on land will be in the rural areas between traditional chiefs and their subjects, not necessarily between laborers and white farmers. He also sees notions of a split in the ruling ANC as ridiculous. As you'll hear, apart from giving us some insight into the way that next year's elections will go, Celia also offers a cool-headed counter to scaremongering by many pundits on the topic of what's called EWC. He's drawn on his very recent engagements with the ANC's top brass to support a prognosis that uh, supports the same one that he had in his book. Lots of meat coming up, but first, let's ask him to introduce himself. My name is Yaki Silia. I'm the chairman of the Board of Trustees at the Institute for Security Studies, um, and I published a book last middle of last year called Fate of the Nation, Three Scenarios for South Africa's Future that looked at uh, events leading up to the ANC's December conference and prospects out to 2034. Well, Yaki, that's exactly the reason why we need to talk to you today, to get some kind of an update. We had a wonderful chat last year, just after the publication of Fate of the Nation. Subsequent to that, we've had the ANC elective conference and all kinds of rumors about what might be going forward. But um, let's just start with that conference first. Were you surprised by the result? I I was fairly confident that Ramaphosa would win. Um, I was surprised by the narrow margin of his victory. Um, and given the fact that uh, Sir Ramaphosa fought against the whole state apparatus um, and vast amounts of money, it's probably no surprise that the margin was a little bit uh, smaller than, than what I expected. Um, but it was, uh, it was uh, uh, difficult times for South Africa, but the outcome was positive and good. But it is a balanced outcome. It was unfortunately not a clear victory for the reformist camp. And uh, this is in line with the expectations that I had in fate of the nation, where um, the most likely scenario was uh, what I refer to as Bafana Bafana, which was a sort of a, 
a bumbling along uh, scenario where um, the reformists triumph, but uh, that the traditionalists still rate, uh, retain a significant amount of power. It was seen by many to have been a surprise result. Uh, as you say, from your perspective, it was the most likely. But we also know that it was very much a last-minute thing that David Mabuza, who was supposedly in the Zuma camp, switched sides. Yes, um, and in retrospect, uh, that seems to have clinched Ramaphosa's victory. But it is important to, to recognize that significant amounts of money and political pressure uh, changed hands in the days ahead and during the conference, and that is fairly fairly well documented. Um, and uh, that Ramaphosa won despite that pressure would, in my view, confirm that his levels of support are on actual fact significantly higher than the results would indicate. The book has held up remarkably well. I'm, I'm, I was actually in preparation for this, <laughs> reading through it again, uh, um, and, and I'm, I'm quite happy that uh, we, we're going to be doing an update of some of our work towards the end of next year after the elections. And Cyril needs a big mandate. He needs a big win in the elections, presumably over 50%. Do you think you'll get it? Yes, I think um, the forecast in fate of the nation is 53% for the ANC, and that was basically because um, the argument I made there is that uh, the ANC is suffering from a large stay-away vote. Lots of South Africans who are not prepared to vote for an ANC under Jacob Zuma, but may be prepared to vote for Silver Ramaphosa. The challenge is that come May next year, I don't think that uh, Ramaphosa will have been able to sort out all the corruption and patronage at local and metropolitan, uh, local metropolitan and in SOEs. So he's still going to struggle um, uh, because in the um, Mandela magic scenario, I give the ANC 59%, which would have in both these scenarios, um, nation, um, uh, Mandela magic and Bafana Bafana, ANC support goes down. They remember that the moment uh, they have 62% in parliament, they got something like, uh, they got a, a significant trouncing with the local government elections, but they always do better at national level. So I think the ANC is going to have a decisive win. I also think that they probably will hang on to Gauteng. Um, I don't think that the DA will be able to take Gauteng because I think most Gautengers are going to probably vote for Ramaphosa. And if the ANC don't get an outright win in Gauteng, they will be able to run Gauteng in coalition with a small party. Right now, there are many who say that there is going to be a split in the ANC, that the, uh, the old guard, the Zuma camp, are regrouping and getting ready to, uh, if they are unable to win from within, to challenge from without. Well, how do you read that? I don't expect a split. I, at most, and I doubt that that would happen, uh, there could be a splinter uh, in KwaZulu-Natal, but, uh, which is Jacob Zuma's uh, support base. But um, I do not expect a, a split. The ANC has too much to lose. Too much to lose in either getting rid of, of uh, Cyril Ramaphosa, as some commentators are speculating, um, or in uh, looking for a fight back from the Zuma faction. Zuma's support is largely KwaZulu-Natal and uh, rural-based. And what is going to happen going forward is that the big fight within the ANC, but I expect that only after the May 2019 elections, is going to be between the rural chiefs, 
um, uh, like King Goodwill's Valentini and the mainstream reformist camp in the ANC. And that is really where the big issues around land are also going to play themselves out. I expect that uh, Ramaphosa is going to continue to lead the ANC. He will have a, um, a victory, a, a solid victory in, in the May elections. But I don't see that the ANC will either significantly split or that uh, Zuma will, uh, will, will be able to force more than a splintering of the ANC. And, and I don't even believe that that's going to be the case. Zuma is going to face, he is going to have his hands full spending time in court, which is where he belongs. Let's just unpack those two. You said, first of all, the May elections. Is that when you're anticipating that the election will be called? Yes, there has been some speculation that the elections could be called earlier. But given the challenges that the IEC faces with regard to um, uh, making sure that everybody, every voter is uh, fully audited in t- or that he or she has, uh, has a full address, I think that uh, the ANC elections, that the elections will occur as scheduled. I was actually at, um, we were invited to present to one of the committees at the ANC Consultative Policy Conference uh, the day before yesterday. And it was clear from the address, the opening address by President Ramaphosa uh, and others that the ANC is preparing its election platform, which will be uh, intended to be ready by December of this year and then will be published. So there's also no indication from within the ANC that there is uh, serious thinking of advancing the elections. So May next year it is. The ANC is getting ready for that, as is the president. The second point that you raised there was perhaps uh, the most interesting one, the land question you see as reformists versus rural uh, um, uh, tribal chiefs, perhaps. Yeah, there there are three dimensions to the land issue. Um, The first is uh, the agricultural land of which – you know, there is much uh, fury and um, and debate. The second dimension relates to traditional land, and the third relates to a land in urban areas, particularly for poor uh, for poor people, poor blacks in particular. While there is much fury and angst about um, agricultural land, I do not believe we're either going to see a constitutional amendment uh, or significant um, uh, land. Uh, without uh, a payment. I, I, I think that in actual fact, the battle and the challenges are how to advance individual title deed uh, in uh, the traditional areas. And that's why, of course, King Goodwill's Relatini and others are so concerned because uh, Salerno Poza's major challenge is to modernize the ANC, to change it from a ruralist, traditionalist, uh, big man, Zulu-dominated grouping towards a modernist uh, orientation, a multi-ethnic, largely urban-based society. And the best way for him to, uh, the only way really for him to achieve that is to um, really move uh, rural uh, black South Africans onto individual title hold. It is also, by the way, the best way to alleviate deep-seated poverty and to get uh, farming going, even if it is only subsistence farming in, in rural areas, east players, places like KwaZulu-Natal and the Eastern Cape. This, of course, is a huge threat uh, to uh, traditional leadership. And that's, I think, where uh, Ramaphosa's biggest challenge lie. That will only, I think, occur after, after elections once uh, he has uh, achieved his own mandate. 
And then the third component of land really relates to the huge demand for um, land in urban areas. The majority of South Africans, and this has been well documented, they don't want to go farming, but they want, uh, they want land, they want ownership of their home and their house, and they want a bankable asset. And uh, the use, uh, already we see this in Gauteng, uh, making um, urban land available uh, to, to urban settlers, uh, largely initially from state-held land, is, is going to deal with that. So, I think that the furore around um, uh, land is, is a little bit misplaced. It actually presents a bigger challenge within the ANC than it does uh, than it does elsewhere. It, of course, has um, presented South Africa with huge problems in terms of investor confidence, and it's done a lot of damage uh, to South Africa in the process. But it is an issue that needs to be addressed in South Africa. Indeed, in the last month alone, we've seen the uh, value of the currency falling significantly on this land issue. It does appear, though, the way that you are um, outlining it, that we all seem to be missing the real issue here. I, I do think so. I think that um, uh, the, the issue the, 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 of the three dimensions of the land challenge, in actual fact, the ANC has made it clear that they are not going to undermine South Africa's commercial agricultural sector. South Africa, agriculture is what, 2% of the South African economy, but we are basically self-sufficient in food. And that is, um, there are very few African countries that can say that, and it's hugely important for South Africa to maintain that food self-sufficiency. Uh, but there is lots of issues around land, historical and otherwise, that have to be addressed that will impact upon agricultural land. Um, that does not require an amendment to the Constitution, in my view, and I think the ANC is going to confirm that. But what Ramaphosa has effectively done by dealing with the land issue uh, in the way that he has is he's drawn the rug from under the EFF, uh, which is now sitting with a huge problem in terms of where does it take its uh, policy agenda going forward. But the other two components of the land issue, uh, rural uh, tr uh, land in traditional areas, which is under communal uh, title, ho title hold um, and is theoretically held in trust for its inhab inhabitants, that, that South Africa must simply modernize that. We, we, we cannot have a dual system of um, uh, authority in South Africa. And the Constitutional Court in 1996 has already made that clear that the establishment of a parallel system of authority in traditional areas is simply incompatible with a constitution which provides only for three levels of authority, local, provincial and national. So that debate about uh, traditional land is going to lead to a huge battle within the ANC, particularly in KwaZulu-Natal. Um, and then, as I said, the third component is really the uh, where the huge land hunger is, which is uh, the provision of land um, in, in urban areas for uh, for a rapidly urbanizing South Africa. And both these last two components, uh, traditional land and urban land, um, is, is, is very important to unlock um, poverty-stricken South Africans, to give them a bankable asset uh, that they can go and, and get capital and move forward. And I think that uh, the ANC, the reformist tradition grouping within the ANC, the dominant faction, is very much alive and aware of this, but it has to be managed very, very carefully. It, it, it's, it's going to be a huge battle within the ANC. Sounds a little like Hernando de Soto's uh, recommendations for unleashing yes. poverty. Yes, it is very much, that is, that is very, very much the approach. And that is that if you want to unlock uh, uh, rural poverty, you have to give poor people a bankable asset. 
and that is an absolute requirement also in South Africa. You, um, the traditional rural, um, the tradi- uh, communal land tenure is simply not compatible with uh, unlocking rural poverty. But it is compatible with a socialist or communist way of thinking, i.e. that the land belongs to the state. Yes, but the ANC has long stepped away from those traditions. Um, I think today the debate really is only the extent of the role of the state in the economy. I think broadly there's a consensus with, with the vast majority of South Africans that is the private sector um, that, that drives growth. It is the role of the state to redistribute and deal with the extraordinary high levels of inequality that we have uh, in South Africa. But it is the private sector that, that is the engine of growth. I think in broad terms, uh, the broad comment that I also made in, in Fate of the Nation is that um, the ANC's major focus under Mandela, uh, Mbeki and Zuma has been on redistribution at the expense of growth. And, the, and, and we've had remarkable successes. And I would amongst those successes is, uh, of course, uh, grants, social grants. But uh, there is insufficient emphasis placed on the importance of growing the economy. And for the last four or five years, South Africans generally have been getting poorer because the economy is not growing. And Ramaphosa is absolutely alive to this issue. We must grow the economy. And yes, we also need to redistribute. But I think that the the emphasis is going to shift towards uh, growing the South African economy. And the major risk to South Africa is not domestic. It is the trade war. It's international developments that could really um, uh, uh, prove the uh, that is the biggest danger to, I think, what is uh, what is unfolding uh, domestically. South Africa is an uh, open economy with more than 50% of its GDP being either imports or exports. So um, the point you touched on briefly there, the trade war, how exactly, uh, uh, how big a threat exactly is that to growth? I think it's a huge threat. South Africa um, is an upper middle income country. If you look at our historical growth rates, you will see that for the last uh, three decades, South Africa has grown significantly below its peers. In other words, the average of growth rates of upper middle income countries has in actual fact been almost 2% above South Africa's uh, um, average growth rate. And that is because of the legacy of apartheid, poor management, incompetence, and lately corruption and state capture. So, the, um, uh, But if you f- then follow the trajectory of South Africa's growth, it follows international trends. And because, as you've pointed out, we are such an open economy, uh, the impact of a global downturn uh, is going to be severe on South Africa. We, we are an open economy. We will be affected. And uh, as the green shoots of growth come out in, in, in South Africa eventually, and, and it's, it, was, it is happening globally at the moment, the potential of a trade war uh, can, uh, can have real, uh, real negative impacts uh, on, on South Africa and our growth prospects. We need growth, uh, you know, absolute minimum of 3% uh, per annum uh, growth just to stay abreast of population growth, etc. The National Development Plan said we need 5.4%. And, and that is, uh, we've done some modeling on this, is, is roughly the growth rates that you need if you are going to deal with inequality, poverty uh, in, uh, uh, in South Africa, you, else we, we are not growing employment. And the number one priority for the South African economy is, to, is employment-intensive growth. Nothing else can solve our problems. In Fate of the Nation, you had three scenarios, the Bafana-Bafana scenario, which is the one that we're sitting in at the moment, Nation Divided or Mandela Magic. Mandela Magic is where we want to go to. Is there any chance of that happening? 
Um, yes, there is. I think that the, the, the potential is for Ramaphosa to translate the Bafana Bafana bumbling along scenario uh, into a Mandela magic scenario. Now, a Mandela magic is a scenario where the reformers in the ANC triumph, or it is a scenario where down the line, let's say from 2024 onwards, South Africa really enters an era of competitive politics um, and, and efficiencies are driven by the ANC, the DA uh, in particular, maybe to a lesser extent other parties drive efficiency by competing at uh, municipal, at metropolitan um, uh, and, uh, and even eventually at, at national level. I think that the, the DA is facing a number of problems uh, at the moment, as we know, around Patricia DeLille De um, and the infighting within within the DA. It it's simply did better during the local government elections that, uh, than they expected. Um, they ha Their portfolio has expanded and they are struggling with new leadership to take that forward. But it remains an efficient um, modern party. While the ANC struggles with uh, provinces, wayward provinces, huge uh, uh, state capture and corruption, most of this which is driven by the policy of cadre deployment. And, and cadre deployment to a large extent has gotten us where we, where we are today. And Ramaphosa has made the commitment that he is going to end or at, at least roll back some of that and focus on efficiency. And there's lots of low-hanging fruits that South Africa can reap, can harvest from um, simply the appointment of capable people in the criminal justice system, uh, uh, in key financial and departmental portfolios, and in the restructuring uh, consolidation of the state. Um, and, and I think that those things, unfortunately, seems like are only going to happen after the elections because Ramaphosa feels the balance of power does not allow him at the moment to undertake the uh, significant um, uh, shifts in the way in which uh, the state is structured ahead of the elections. He basically needs to keep the traditionalist faction on board until after the elections when he has his own mandate. And then we are going to see some additional um, significant uh, movements uh, in terms of a much smaller uh, cabinet uh, restructuring and merger of government departments and so on and so forth. But that uh, that can only happen after um, Ramaphosa has confirmed his own, stamped his own authority. But I do think what people underestimate is the strategic way in which he is proceeding. I always make the point, I think that Ramaphosa is playing chess and his opponents are, are playing checkers. Uh, if you look at the way in which he is uh, taking control and unleashing forces in the economy and in the broader legal and political process, uh, that is a process that is uh, unfolding perhaps not in the public domain, but it is having and will over time have a, a huge impact on, on South Africa. And you can point to any example that you want to in terms of the Zondu Commission of Inquiry, the number of um, uh, advisors that a minister has to have, uh, the decision on that he will only pay certain uh, Jacob Zuma's legal fees in, in his actual defense of his case. Um, and so on and so forth. There are many, many examples, but it's a much more of a strategic game uh, that is being played out than big announcements. And, and South Africans want, we want big man leadership. And I don't think Ramaphosa is going to provide us uh, with that. He provides us with consultative modern leadership. So relax. He's playing chess. He knows where he is. South Africa has a leader who is consulting and potentially will bring this country to Mandela magic scenario, but only after the election. 
Yes, unless the international developments that you into that uh, intrude, and that that I think is our biggest challenge. If if we didn't have uh, the uh, ructions internationally, uh, I would really be extremely confident of a of a of us entering a a much more positive future. But international developments. And South Africa's open economy means that uh, we we could developments could still impact upon us. And um, as I've said, we need to grow. We need to grow the economy, particularly we need to grow employment, and we need to um, focus on growth, uh, firstly and primarily. And um, of course, look at the uh, at the issues of redistribution. But uh, we we are probably at a maximum stretch in how far you can go without growing the economy. Like a long, cool drink of clear water on a very hot day, isn't he? Well, that was Yaki Selia of the ISS, author of the excellent book, Fate of the Nation. And this has been The Rational Perspective. Until the next time, cheerio.